Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome back to our podcast, The Ins and Outs of Selling a Business. Uh, appreciate you listening in today. Uh, for those of you just joining us, uh, my name is Keith D. I'm president of Osage Advisors. Osage Advisors is a, a merger acquisition firm working with business owners and their families looking to sell. Uh, we typically work with clients with $5 million in revenues and up. Uh, so today we're going to continue our conversation uh, regarding uh, things that can destroy value, reduce value, uh, create risk for owners. Um, and as those of you who are in, listened to our last episode, we talked about, we came up with a list of top 10 and in no particular order because value is different for different buyers. Uh, so last episode, just quickly to go over, we talked about customer concentration, vendor concentration, uh, non-reoccurring revenue versus reoccurring revenue, uh, business reliance on the owner, lack of a management team, no history of earnings uh, in, in the company over the last several years, even though you're ticking up uh, this year or next year, and having uh, what we call financial statements that are unreliable. So today we're going to talk uh, through the remainder of our top 10 list. And uh, number six on my list, again, no particular order, is what we would call a, a weak balance sheet. Um, everybody's focused on how much money you're making, but at the end of the day, it really comes down to how strong a company you are and how you determine the strength of your business is on the balance sheet. So if you're a company that has, say, you you got $2 million of adjusted profits, but your accounts receivable are slow payers, your customers are slow payers, so your accounts receivable are out, out over 90 days or 120 days uh, for various reasons, that's going to be heavily discounted by a buyer. I mean, usually buyers are comfortable going 60 to 90 days. It gets over that amount of time. There's got to be a really good explanation of why is your, why is your receivable sitting out there. Um, so if you're thinking, and there could be, a, it could be a great reason why, right? But if you have slow paying customers, you know, prior, prior to going to market, you need to get them in line so that um, that does not become an major concern because the buyer could discount the business based on the fact that they don't think they're going to get paid for that. So it's a bad debt. Inventory, excess inventory, obsolete inventory, slow moving inventory, no inventory, right? Those, those are things that it's probably one of the biggest hotspots in, uh, on the manufacturing side is what's your inventory number? What's your raw, raw material number? What's your work in process number? What's your finished good number? And how do you account for all that? You know, the bottom line is uh, there are companies that have very sophisticated reporting systems that get a pretty good handle on their overall value inventory. And there are companies that don't even know what they have. So if you don't know what you have, the buyer is going to look at that and say, okay, I don't trust this, this balance sheet. I don't trust these numbers. How's that affecting the profitability of the business? And, and, and you look at things in a couple different ways here. And I think what's interesting is 
you have credentials, you have certificates, you have things you need to qualify for to service your product, right? If you want to ship to an aerospace business, you need to be ISO certified, you need to have ITAR maybe, NADCAP, et cetera. You have certain qualifications that you need to meet in order to be a um, uh, supplier to some of these companies. So buyers looking at that, you know, they also have cer- certain things they need to follow, right? And you, you may not pay attention to them. It's, you know, it's called, you know, accounting principles. And there are specific requirements on how they account for things based on accounting principles. That's how their investors look at them. That's how the banks look at them, look at them, et cetera, et cetera. So something you think has value on your balance sheet may not be considered value from an accounting perspective. You have to look at things like that. I mean, you know, give you an example. We have a client that has um, has product that's probably you know twenty five years old, but he occasionally gets a call for that, and that product could have cost him ten dollars, and he can sell it for a thousand today because no one has it but him. So he sees value. He's not going to just get rid of it and dump it and send it out. But a buyer's going to look at that. What, what's a one or two time thing? So. You know, getting a good handle on what's slow moving, what's obsolete, having an accounting policy in place, you can take it off your balance sheet for reporting purposes, but still have it in stock. So when someone needs that maybe a year or two from now, you can sell it and that profit goes right to the bottom line. So really understanding your inventory, if you don't have good inventory systems in place, a key factor that could cause risk for you when you get down to the end of the deal when you're doing a physical inventory to sell and or you know it could destroy value and kill value and possibly kill the deal if you're not really focused on you know your true inventory numbers you know another one would be you know the amount of debt on your business most deals are either stock or asset deals are, are cash free debt free so you look at a business that's got you know 20 million in revenue uh, is doing well, it's got minimal debt, most of that business, you know, pre-tax is going to flow to the owner. You have another business that is highly leveraged. Why are they leveraged so much? Maybe their margins aren't as good. They're not producing as much cash flow. They got a lot of money tied up in inventory or receivables. So it puts a lot of debt on their books because they got to have cash flow to run their business. So their, their debt load is maybe 10 times that or five times that or three times that as one of their peers. So at the end of the day, when you sell your company, the amount you get of proceeds is going to be net of the debt. The debt's got to be paid first and you get your proceeds. Also, from a buyer perspective, it says, why is that such a high debt load? What am I missing? Is there something in the margin profile that I don't see? Is it is it is it in the inventory? Is it in the uh, receivables? I'm not getting paid. Why am I not getting paid for these people? Again, those are things you got to really focus on that could have, uh, you know, reduce the value of the business and possibly destroy the value or even kill the deal. Um, number seven, um, lack of differential uh, in your products or services. Uh, you have clients out there that you make the same part, you ship the part, but you have a competitor that uh, they do uh, an assembly, right? They take two parts, put them together, and they make like a little part of a product or the whole product. So, Someone just makes one component is the, in a trade to call maybe a call a job shop is where they there's many people that can make this component, but there's only a few that had added value 
right? Is that if you can, you know, add multiple services or things together. So for one for example, we have a client that makes this this component and that component, they put it together, they package it in a box with the customer name on it and ship it directly to the warehouse, right? That has value. If you're just making a, you know, a, a product or, 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 or providing a basic service that is, I'd say, I wouldn't say commonplace, but they can get from multiple sources where you, there's not a value add, that could destroy value or increase the multiple. Again, like I talked about, I think on last episode, I have a company, my company's worth, my buddy just sold his company for X, mine should be worth the same. Well, if he's doing this, but he's adding all these different features to add value and you're just making this one product, he's worth a lot more to to a potential buyer than you are because of the fact that for them, for his customer to get that done, he's got to go to multiple sources versus that one component or product they're putting together for them, assembly, versus you. Uh, number eight, you know, it's, it's your people, high turnover. Why, why are you, why, why do you have four salespeople in the last two years? You know, why is, why did your CFO leave two months ago? Um, why do you have a help wanted ad out like most people do today, but traditionally where you're short five people in a particular department, you know, what is causing that? I mean, are, I mean, is it the compensation structure of your business? Uh, are you paying a fair, fair wage? Are you competitive in the marketplace? Um, you know, it could be the working conditions. You know, we've walked in many factories uh, over our careers, over 20 years plus, where you can tell just by walking in how well lit, how clean the floors are, uh, how people present themselves, uh, that this is a well-run, efficient business versus uh, walking into a, a factory that's dark. Uh, there's chips all over the floor. There's oil on the floor. Uh, people aren't really dressed great. Uh, kind of, you know, uh, when someone could be smoking a cigarette, you know, back in the day, you know, really paying attention. So, you know, buyers see that stuff and they're trained to see that stuff. So, you know, if you're, if you're, your, your shop's not spick and span and ready to go, then that would be a, something that they're going to take a hard look at that may, you know, change the value profile of the business. And of course, training, ongoing training with your business, cross training employees, a lot of companies are smaller, you know, 50 employees, 20 employees, 100 employees, you know, ha having having them certified, having them up to date, having them cross-train in multiple functions is important versus having one person over here who does this, this person over there does that, this person does this, and if one of those leaves, you got to find someone to replace them or get back on the floor yourself. So cross-training, the conditions of your work, excuse me, how you, how you pay your people are all important factors that have effect on value that can destroy the value of your business if you're not careful. It's a risk to the owner you got to think about. Uh, your, your facilities and equipment. We have a client that updates his equipment like almost every two years. Right? You, have a, you, have, you have a machine that was producing uh, uh, you know, cycle times or, or producing you know, 50 parts a minute. With the new machine, you can do you know, uh, 500 parts a minute. Versus somebody who's got a machine that's been there for, you know, for since 2010 or 2001 or 1985, whatever, and they keep it running, but they're not efficient. So you can't, you, if you're not, uh, inefficient machinery causes lower margins. You can't compete in the same way you can compete if you have new technologies, up-to-date equipment, et cetera. 
those have a huge effect because one of the big questions that come up are, what is your CapEx expense? Well, how much money do you spend on capital equipment every year, right? And if you don't spend any, the buyers are going to look at that. So I need to I need to invest two million dollars in this business. So instead of paying ten million or twenty million or thirty million, I'm going to take that thirty million dollar purchase price and I'm going to reduce it by that two million I got to spend to get this thing modernized. And your facilities, you know, as a, as a, we talked about just just a minute ago. Well lit, clean, efficient, laid out right. Uh, you brought, you know, or is it uh, happenstance? It's a dark facility. Uh, it's dirty floors. The machinery is not in any kind of cell uh, 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 for making parts efficiently. They're they're all over the floor, and it's not modernized. Those are the type of things that, again, have a significant effect on what we would call, you know, increased risk and reduced value. Um, you know, n- number 10 is is uh, out of uh, our top 10 is, uh, you know, operational um, deficiencies in your business. You know, you're running your business from a standpoint of an investor where you're looking to build it or you're running your business as a lifestyle business to meet my personal needs. Right, and you can you can you know you can change, right? You can you can say, okay, I've I've enjoyed my business. It's time to you know spend the next three or four years, or whatever, building it from a, from how I look from looking from the outside in, how I want this to run. And so, if you kind of use your business to be your personal, you know, kind of uh, your pocketbook or checkbook for everything you do, uh, even though you have the ad backs, when a business owner, when a buyer comes in, they're going to say, okay, wait a second here, you know, what is going on and and uh, they really haven't really focused on some of the things that are important to what we see perceive in the future, which they see that as value, but they're not going to pay that value to you. They're going to see ways they can change that up moving forward and build on that. And, fr- and frankly, that's a lot of areas where uh, both uh, private equity funds and strategics focus on. How do we how do we make this a better business? And they see a lot of it um, right from the get-go uh, because they've looked at millions or hundreds of businesses uh, over the years. Uh, but if you are running the business from a standpoint of just, you know, to meet my, my daily needs or family needs or whatever, and you're not really concerned about how it's going to look down the road, you know what? You'll likely uh, uh, fill the pain on that when you when you go to sell uh, because the investors are going to pick up or the buyers are going to pick up on that. You know, uh, we talked about, you know, not, you know, not having a good feel for what you're making per product. You may have, you know, 20 SKUs or 1,000 SKUs. You know, knowing what your profit is on a margin basis down to the nitty-gritty details is key, right? So if you have a business where you have a product that you're not sure what you're making on, you can't go to the buyer and say, look, I think I'm making like 22% on this, but I really I really don't follow that. We don't, we don't track that. Versus a business like, well, here's our here's SKU number one, two, three. This is our sales price. Here's our bill of materials. This is our overhead allocation to this. This is our profit on it, right? Again, reducing skepticism from a buyer perspective increases value. That's key. So if you don't have a handle on what you're making from a product perspective, then, you know, those are things that are going to affect the overall valuation um, from from the buyer pool. 
um, you know, lack of internal controls. I mean, again, we, you know, if you're not, if you don't have te- uh, a management team in place that tracks things, whether it's uh, on the sales side, uh, on the manufacturing side, um, on the human resource side, you know, people kind of do it, you know, no one's kind of, it's built more on trust uh, because you've been a family business and now you're growing versus built on systems in place, controls in place that people are accountable to. Right? Lack of internal controls can have an effect and destroy value. Uh, the final thing I've touched quickly on under number uh, number 10 of our top 10 is um, your technologies. Um, we're dealing with a company right now that has been using the same accounting system for over 10 years. They really haven't reinvested in it. And we have other clients that have spent you know hundreds of thousands of dollars on updating their systems to be one to be compliant with uh, what's required from their from their customers, and two, so they can better manage their operations. And if you have old technology that I have this, but then I, re- I write this report, then I put it on an Excel spreadsheet, and this Excel spreadsheet goes into this, so you have like a lot of paper going around to kind of get to where you need to get to, and it takes time to get to that. It's not uh, available to you um, in, a, in a very efficient manner. Buyers are going to look at that as a, as a detriment, and they're going to say, "I need to invest tech, in technology." We had a client that uh, one of the buyers we ended up selling the company uh, to the right buyer, but one of the buyers walked away uh, after the management meeting because they felt that they needed to put a half million dollars just to increase improve their systems, and and not that they didn't want to do it, but they didn't have the time to do it. Right? It's not about just a, we have the money to do it, but I don't have the resources to pull from somewhere else for one of my other companies or one of my other subsidiaries or or, or bring in to kind of do this. So those things are things that, um, you know, fall into that whole operational end. So um, just to quickly recap, you know, we talked about, you know, 10 things that you know, kill value, right? Customer concentration, vendor concentration, uh, non-recurring revenue, owner reliance, lack of management, no history, uh, earnings history, unreliable financials, weak balance sheet, no real differentiation in your product line or services, high employee turnover, your equipment, your facilities, operational. I'm going to leave you with one more, I'll call it a bonus, which may be the most important, is fit. The buyer, it's, you got, you're, you're establishing a relationship, right? It's, it's kind of like a marriage. And uh, as you get into a transaction, you know, do I like these people? Do they like me? You know, what, you know, it's like you got to have an open line of communication. You got to trust each other. You got to believe in each other that you're going to, whether you're staying or not in the business, they still need to feel that you are being trustworthy, open and honest with them and communicate it. We call it transparency, right? If you are in a transaction uh, or in a process of through meeting with people um, prior to even a letter of intent, they may look at you and you may look at them and say, look, I just can't work with these people. I don't, I just don't feel right about it. It goes both ways. I would, I would say that every one of our clients that we've sold over, uh, over the years, we tell them to prepare for a buyer that's going to come through the door that you just don't feel comfortable with for whatever reason. And it always happens because it's an emotional sale. Well, you're emotional on one end, the buyer, they may not be as emotional on their end because they may be corporate or, or private equity firm, but they still want to feel that what you're saying to them is is trustworthy and transparent. Um, 
And it's important, no matter what happens, no matter where you are in a transaction process, we always say something underneath the table always comes up, is that you bring it to light as soon as possible, as soon as you become aware of it, and let the buyer know, hey, this just transpired, I was unaware of it, this is what's happening, how do we fix it together? Right? We, we, we just did a deal where a major customer decided to uh, postpone, a, postpone a contract for two years or 18 months. So we brought that to the buyer's attention right away. So we said, look, okay, we get it, but we still want to buy you. Thank you for informing us. Let's figure out how we're going to make this work. So transparency is key. So it comes down to fit. It's, again, like a marriage. Communications, trust, transparency, honesty, those things go both ways. And if you if you feel it, if they feel it, they may still want to move forward, but they're going to do something. They're going to affect. It's going to it could could it could affect the valuation, could destroy the value, and may possibly kill the deal. So that's our our ten lit, uh, top ten uh, list today uh, and last episode, uh, as well as the bonus uh, number eleven. And um, I want to thank you for being with us today. Uh, my name is Keith D. I'm president of Osage Advisors. Uh, you can reach me at uh, 860-767-3273, extension 1001, or shoot me an email at kdee at osageadvisors.com. If you want to learn, learn more about our firm, please visit our website at osageadvisors.com. Appreciate you being here. Hope all is well. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.